Hello, Hawks fans, and welcome to another episode of the Kettlecast with your host, Forrest Willoughby. In this episode of the Kettlecast, we'll talk about the Hawks' game against the Indianapolis Pacers and also talk about the Hawks' 2018-2019 season. Without further ado, let's get into it. What a heartbreaking loss for the Hawks on their last game of the season. It also was their last home game of the season, and the Hawks took advantage of that by making it Fan Appreciation Night. People who got there early got a commemorative coin of the Hawks' 50th anniversary in Atlanta, and they also got a team yearbook that had information on the players and pictures from all the players. Getting into the game, this was a game that the Hawks lost 135 to 134, and it was a game that really didn't have a lot of meaning for either team. The Hawks were locked into their position, what the odds are for a draft pick. The Pacers have already locked in what position they were going to be in the playoffs. They were locked in at the number five seed, and there was no way they could pass the Celtics, who had the number four seed. The Pacers took advantage of this by not playing many of their regulars. The only players who were in their normal rotation that ended up playing in this game were Tyreek Evans, Darren Collison, their point guard, and Doug McDermott. Some other bench players played as well, but none of the big regulars for the Pacers. Oladipo, who's out for the rest of the season. There was no DeMontis Sabonis. There wasn't any Miles Turner. So this was a second unit of the Pacers. And it was kind of frustrating, to be frank, that the Hawks were not able to knock off this team and get a 30th win. The Hawks didn't have anything to gain by winning or losing. They had a lot of strong showings from the players. All the Hawks regulars got a lot of run. The starting lineup was John Collins, Trey Young, Torian Prince, Alex Lynn, and Kevin Herter. All the regulars except for Dwayne Dedman, who was out for the rest of the season with his injury. And all of the starters played really well. None of them had a negative plus minus on the game. And four of them had 20 points. John Collins finished with 20 points and 25 rebounds. Monster game. Trey Young had 23 points, 11 assists, but he also had six turnovers. Torian Prince finished with 23 points and five rebounds. He played the whole fourth quarter and was really key in the run that got the Hawks back into this game at the end of the game. Alex Lynn had 20 points, and Kevin Herter only had 17 points. He was 5 of 6 from three-point land with four rebounds and three assists. With all your starters scoring over 15 points, over 17 points, all being positive plus minus, you'd expect the Hawks to get a win in that game, but they were not able to do it. The Pacers were led by TJ Leaf, a player who was drafted ahead of John Collins and Tyreek Evans. TJ Leaf had... 28 points and 10 rebounds. Tyreek Evans really kept the Pacers in this game and really kept their lead going through the game. Um, he had 27 points, 5 assists, and was 5 of 7 from 3-point Tyreek Evans isn't known as any 3-point sharpshooter and especially had a rough start of the season shooting 3-pointers, so for him to go 5 of 7 from 3 was really tough. Kept the Pacers not only in the game but ahead when the Hawks were making their charge. Also, in a weird statistical fact, Elise Johnson, who is not a regular in the Pacers rotation, and in fact a player I don't know a lot about, he came off the bench and had 7 points, 11 rebounds, and he was a game-high plus 14 on the game, which was just, in a game decided by one point, pretty amazing that a player off the bench who only scores 7 points and 11 rebounds could be plus 14. 
The Pacers shot 40% from three. They were 12 of 30. Uh, the Hawks shot forty over 40% from three. Both teams got to the free throw line a ton. The Pacers were 33 of 39 on their free throws. The Hawks were 31 of 38. A lot of the uh, one stat that's particularly tough for the Hawks is they had 17 turnovers to only eight from the Pacers. And as I said earlier, Trey Young had six of those turnovers. And for a young, young team, you're going to see those turnovers in the 82nd game of the season, you would not want to see 17 turnovers. So hopefully going into the offseason, these players will see that, hey, we still got to work on these turnover issues. But the game was a game of runs. The Pacers had a 14-4 to run in the first quarter. They closed the second quarter after the Hawks had come all the way back and tied the game on a 5-0 run and then started the third quarter on a 9-1 to run. So that's a 14-1 to run over that time. And then the Hawks closed this game on a 20-7 to run to take the lead on a Torian Prince bomb three with under five seconds to go. The play to get Torian the shot did not look like Torian was the number one option, but he got the ball, took the deep three, and nailed it. Home crowd, it was billed as a sellout, and crowd was going wild, and Rightfully so, Torian just hit a three that looked like it was going to secure the Hawks' 30th win of the season. And unfortunately, the Hawks were not able to close the deal. The Pacers the Pacers were able to advance the ball, and they passed it to one of their players. They had passed it to Sumner in the corner, and in a play that was eerily similar to the Final Four play where a Virginia player was fouled shooting a three-pointer for the Auburn to lose the game. The Hawks fouled a three-point shooter, shooting the ball at the end of the game, and Sumner hit all three free throws to get the victory for the Pacers. So it was a tough game for the Hawks to lose, especially after having such a big run to get back into the game. And really, it would have been a great highlight, still a great shot from Torian Prince, but it would have been an awesome highlight for him to get a game winner in that last game. And 30 is a nice round number. It would have been great for the Hawks to finish the season with 30 wins. But the positives from this game were certainly that the starting lineup did so well that you kind of had great performances from your starters. Now we need to shore up the bench a little bit. Unfortunately, too, the final foul was by possibly our best perimeter defender in DeAndre Bembry. And he took a really reckless, just leaping into the air, trying to block a shot that he really didn't have an opportunity to block. But all in all, a rough way to lose a game, but in a rough way to finish a season that had turned out to be so well. A season where the Hawks really outperformed expectations. The game was a sellout. And to see the support this team got from the beginning of the season to the end, um, there's a lot to look forward to with this young core of Trey Young, John Collins, and then whoever you want to throw around him, whether that be Kevin Herter, DeAndre Bembry, Torian Prince. There's a lot to look forward to going into the into the offseason. To get to 30 wins would have been awesome for the Atlanta Hawks, but their 2018-2019 season isn't going to be remembered for their regular season record. It's going to be remembered as Trey Young's rookie year. It'll be remembered as Lloyd Pierce's first year coaching the Hawks. The 2018-2019 season will be remembered as the Hawks' first playing in State Farm Arena, the culmination of two off-seasons renovation work being done. 
It'll be remembered for the game winners that Trey Young hit and the passes that he threw and all of the dunks and alley-oops he threw to John Collins. It'll be remembered as the year we got Red Velvet or Kevin Herter. This team was a lot of fun to watch throughout the season. It didn't win a lot of games. It only went 29-53, and 53, which was an increase in five games over the year before. Um, but they played their best ball at the end of the season. They went 10-14 and 14 after the All-Star break after starting the season 19-39. and 39. This was a fast-paced team, literally had the number one pace in the NBA, which is how many possessions per game that the Hawks had. Um, and it wasn't a very strong defensive team. The Hawks gave up 119 points per game, which was 10 more points than they gave up the year before. There were a lot of transactions. Coach Budenholzer decided he no longer wanted to be part of what was possibly a rebuilding situation in Atlanta, so the Hawks let him go. And they conducted a head coach search where they ultimately went with Lloyd Pierce, a assistant coach for the 76ers, and really well known for his player development. They then, then drafted Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and Amari Spellman. Trey Young coming to Atlanta on a draft day trade with the Dallas Mavericks that sent Luka Doncic to the Mavs in exchange for Trey Young and a future first-round pick. They traded for Jeremy Lin in an odd move when Dennis Schroeder was still on the roster, but Dennis Schroeder wasn't long for the roster, and he was traded along with Mike Muscala for Justin Anderson and Carmelo Anthony. Now, Carmelo Anthony ended up being the highest-paid Hawk this year. He made $25 million and never played a single minute for the Hawks. He did end up getting a jersey because ultimately he wanted a jersey to remember his time on the Hawks. He never played for the Hawks. The Hawks signed Alex Lynn to a two-year deal, and they also signed Vince Carter for the season. On the trade deadline this year, the Hawks traded Tyler Dorsey for Shelvin Mack, who was then waived. And uh, they also signed Deontay Davis through the end of the season. And uh, one interesting thing about Deontay Davis is that when he was on Memphis, he actually lived with Vince Carter a little bit when he was a rookie, and Vince was mentoring him. So I think there was some part of Vince's experience with Deontay Davis that brought him to Atlanta. But he's a young center, a young guy coming in to potentially be part of this core. And it's good to see at the end of the season, the Hawks really trying to play young guys and see, take shots on young guys to try to find diamonds in the rough. There was a lot of turnover with the Hawks. No Bellinelli, no Ilyasova. The top five minutes players from the year before, Torian Prince, Dennis Schroeder, Kent Bazemore, John Collins, Dwayne Dedman, only two show up this year. Kent Bazemore and John Collins, who were fourth and fifth respectively. The leaders in minutes played were Trey Young and Kevin Herter, two rookies. DeAndre Bembry played all 82 games for the first time in his career, and it was number three in minutes played. The Hawks had some interesting movement in some of their ranks, uh, offensively and defensively. Uh, From basketball reference, you can look at the offensive four factors and defensive four factors, which are what Dean Oliver, who is one of the leaders in basketball data analytics, looks at for uh, how to tell how a team's doing their general health at both ends of the floor. And the Hawks' effective field goal percentage went up from 51% to 52%. Their turnovers went up as well. The 
they were already at 29th last year. They went to 30th this year. And turnovers are, is going to have to be a point of emphasis in this offseason. And that is one thing that is just clear from watching his team. Uh, Trey Young tries a lot of ridiculous passes that are good, but also lead to a lot of turnovers. And there's also just a lot of young players, and they play at a breakneck pace. They're going to have to get their turnovers under control if they want to ultimately have success in winning games. But they increased their turnovers this year. Their offensive re- rebounding got ex- way better. Whether that's a John Collins effect, Alex Lynn effect, or the Lloyd Pierce effect, they went from 21% of all offensive rebounds pulling down to 25%. And that was from 22nd in the NBA to 6th in the NBA. Finally, they also increased slightly their free throw attempts per field goal attempts. Um, and they went from 21st in the NBA to 19th in the NBA in that. On defense, honestly, their defense wasn't very good last year, and it wasn't very good this year. The effective field goal for percentage for other the other team went from 53% to 54%. Their turnover percentage, the Hawks have always been pretty good at getting turnovers, and the opponents turned the ball over 13% last year and 20, 12.8% this year. Defensive rebounding, rebounding again went up. It was never a strong part of uh, Coach Budenholzer's tenure here, but it went from 27th in the NBA at 76% to 20th in the NBA at the same 76%. And finally, the Hawks fouled the most in the NBA, and other teams got to the free throw line the most, um, which is another area, along with turnovers, fouling. With young teams, you expect a lot of fouls, but the Hawks are going to have to clean that up. Um, One other interesting fact about the last two years of the Hawks is their point differential, um, which takes what they score average per game and subtracts what opponents score per game. Um, And it's been negative 6.6 last year and negative 6.8 this year. A great statistical website is cleaningtheglass.com. They have a lot of interesting articles along with statistics. And they have a statistic that it's expected wins by your point differential. And when you get negative 6.6 as your point differential, your expected wins are 24.5. Last year, you'll recall, the Hawks ended up getting 24 wins. So it was right on that. This year, the Hawks ended up getting 29 wins. They outperformed their point differential, which I think has a lot to do with you have Trey Young who wants the ball at the end of games, and they won some close games that they shouldn't have. And also shows that point differential can't always be the most accurate indicator of what a team can play, uh, what a team can do, especially with a young team. There are games that the Hawks just got blown out. You need to look into those blowouts and having those giant blowouts, but then a lot of close games, sometimes the point differential can be thrown out of whack. And the Hawks had a 40-point loss this year, and so that would definitely get it out of whack. I think that you had to look at the 2018-2019 season of the Atlanta Hawks as a positive to go from sort of the lows of draft night when the Luka Doncic trade happened. And I certainly was a little disgusted because I had thought that Luka was clearly the best player in the draft and we were trading him away for even getting another asset in a first-round pick. It was putting a lot on Trey Young. Um, And to have a rookie point guard at what is possibly the deepest position in the NBA is a giant risk. And Trey Young really showed out after 
a rough starting month. Trey Young won every Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month except for one, and he believes should have had a clean sweep of the Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month. Kevin Herter showed out for a 19th pick who ended up starting at the end of the season, just like John Collins did before him. Lloyd Pierce showed that he could grow a team and, and really instill a culture. This team did not give up. If there was, I can count the number of games on my hand where the Hawks didn't compete. In each of those instances, it elicited the proper response, I thought, from their head coach. Lloyd Pierce was not shy about calling out his players. It's encouraging to have a young head coach who is reported to play against his players in practice and really him holding his players accountable on games that they didn't know show was very encouraging to me. And I felt like Lloyd Pierce said all the right things and was a positive this season, which you don't know what you're getting with a rookie head coach. Now, as the Hawks progress in in future years, the expectations on Lloyd Pierce are going to increase as well. And it'll be interesting to see how he can continues to develop players, what he, what players stay here, how they improve, and also how he improves coaching. Lloyd Pierce was a positive this year. And finally, the Hawks were able to get some assets for players that they didn't have spots for on the team. I was a Dennis Schroeder fan, but once the Hawks had Trey Young and Jeremy Lin, they were able to get a first-round pick for Dennis Schroeder, which is pretty amazing. They had to eat Carmelo Anthony's salary for one year, but that just means it opened up salary for this upcoming offseason. That brings me to my final point, which is the Hawks really have an opportunity to take a lot of good momentum from this season and turn it into a movement. Uh, a lot with rebuilds in the NBA, there's a there's a want to have a process to not just lose one season so you get one high pick, but to lose multiple seasons so you have three, four, five shots at drafting great players. And the Hawks have hit on all their recent draft picks. If they can take two top 10 draft picks this year and hit again, this rebuild may not be quite the process as it could have been somewhere else. Hitting the draft is going to be really important and hitting off-season signings is also going to be important. I think the culture that they've built here, a credit to both Travis Schlenk and Lloyd Pierce, and the owner, Tony Ressler, and Jamie Gertz, all can be encouraging in having free agents come to Atlanta. Everything is pointing in the right direction for the Hawks. Uh, We're going to get into a lot of detailed analysis on what players improved this season, what players uh, did not improve this season, and what we think the Hawks should do in the draft, and also who they should sign in the offseason. But it's been a very fun season to cover the Atlanta Hawks. I've appreciated everybody who's listened to the KettleCast. If you can like or rate the KettleCast on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, that'd be a very big help to me. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at kettlecast at gmail.com. That's K-E-T-T-L-E-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Um, I'm hoping to do a couple mailbag episodes this summer. So it, it, get your questions in. And we're going to start by having some player reviews coming up in the next few weeks. And go Hawks!